Hear then the Word of God. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the Gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know for this reason. When I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and your love, and he has reported that you always remember us kindly and that you long to see us even as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and our affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may most that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. And now may our God and Father Himself and the Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all of His saints. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word that is living and true. We thank You for the heart of the Apostle. The heart that You shaped in Him and gave Him and the power of Your Spirit as You claimed Him for Yourself as a, an Apostle of the Gospel, a servant of Christ, and a servant of the Gospel doing all things for the sake of Your elect. Oh Father, would You write this on our hearts. Would You capture us as servants of the Gospel that we might be faithful and effective as we seek to bring Christ to a lost world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What an exalted privilege it is to be servants of the Gospel. And that's what comes through as Paul's heart. What an exalted thing that he is a part of. You know, that he is able to enter into and to labor with God in his kingdom. To proclaim the Word. The Gospel which is the power of God's salvation to us. It is also our daily food for life and health. In other words, it's not something we graduate from or move past. That Gospel which gives us birth and has the power to bring new life is a Gospel we feed on day by day and week by week as our hope that is in Christ. That Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Son of God who died for our sin. That He was raised to life. And that we can share in that life if we will follow Him. If we will confess Him to be Lord. And we will accept that what He did, He did for us. And we will follow Him. He says, this is the Gospel. Who Christ is and what He has done. 
and what is offered to us if we will follow. As the story continues to unfold, Paul, as he is writing to the church and unfolds how it comes that he's writing to him and what it is he has to say to them. And one and two, it says we couldn't bear it any longer. Like we had no word. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know how you were faring. You know, so we were willing to be left behind at Athens. He didn't want it to be that way. He wanted to go. We don't know what it is, how Satan hindered him from going, but he says, I've been hindered, I can't go, we can't go. So we were willing at this stage to be left behind at Athens and to send Timothy to you. Our brother and God's co-worker in the Gospel of Christ so that he could establish and exhort you. The companions had fled from Thessalonica under intense persecution. He knows the Christians there continue to suffer under that affliction, and he's worried about them. He can't stand it anymore. And when he sends Timothy, you know he can't stand it anymore because Timothy had become very dear to him. At some point in his writings, he calls Timothy his son. His son in the Gospel. Someone who had become very dear to him. And you see in the letters his, his accompanying of him and bring me my scrolls and my book. And uh, that, that Timothy is very dear to Paul's heart. And a young Christian himself. And a young man. Don't let anyone look down on you for your youth, Timothy. And he sends this young Christian man who is dear to his heart on his own back into the situation in Thessalonica. Because he couldn't make it. We know that he returns down in verses 5 and 6 when we could bear it no longer. We sent to learn to find out how you've borne up under the temptation of suffering. In Jesus' parables, He said, when the sun rose, it withered because it had no root. And He said, the sun of suffering, the temptation that comes by it, we know that it will winnow out those who are in Christ. And He says, so we, we were worried that temptation had overcome you, but now that Timothy has come back, we know He's brought us good news. You've returned to us. All of our fears about the enemy's temptation were groundless. Because we see the effects of true, genuine faith in your lives. That's what he says in verse 6. He's brought us news of your faith and your love. Your faith and your love. The key marks of God's people. That they have persevered. That they have persevered in this true heart of faith. As the story tells of their concern, as he is expressing this and how his own story unfolds, sending Timothy, in all of this, he is revealing to us the beauty and the power of the gospel to change lives, to persevere a church, to change them, to establish them in that core spirit and heart of. Christian people and to cause them to persevere in it and his joy to see and his desire to see that continue to grow and to go forward. The glorious ministry that he is a part of. In verse 2, we get a glimpse of it when he says that we sent Timothy to you. He is our brother. But not only is he our brother, he says he is God's co-worker in the Gospel of Christ. He is God's co-worker. Think about that for just a minute. The glorious reality that if you are, and I believe this is true, in a sense, a lover of the Gospel and a, and a sharer of that Gospel where you live and work and play in your life and in your influence, 
in wherever we have opportunity, and as whether the church creates opportunities or as God gives opportunity, as you, as you also, like Paul, are a lover and a sharer, a, a proclaimer of the gospel, you are God's co-worker in that ministry. I want to do it just so I can be God's co-worker. Like there's, there's something inspiring and glorious about that reality to, to serve next of God. It is one of those things that if the Bible didn't say it, I wouldn't. To tell you that you were something like that. A co-worker with God. A co-laborer alongside of Him. Like that yoke, that picture of two being yoked together and pulling together or working together. It's something to make it happen. And He says you are that. You are in a sense yoked with the Lord in ministry. Paul says it somewhere else in 1 Corinthians 3.9. He says the same thing. He says we are God's fellow workers. His co-workers. You're God's field and you're God's building. And, and this is where, where the, the, the fruit is taking place. But he says we are God's fellow workers. So more than once, this image that He wants to bring out that when we become people of the Gospel and people of the book and proclaimers of Christ to a lost world, we have entered into ministry with God Himself. This is what God is doing. It's His ministry before it is ours. Three times in chapter 2, in verse 2, in verse 8, in verse 9, He calls the Gospel the Gospel of God. And it's interesting because here he says, you know, the co-worker with God, you're God's co-worker in the Gospel of Christ. And it's both, right? It is the Gospel of God. The Gospel of God, he says again and again, the Gospel of God, it is God's Gospel. It is what God is doing. It is what God is giving to the world and proclaiming to them. It is His power for salvation. It is His thing. It's the Gospel of His Son. It proclaims and lifts up Him as the Savior But it's God's Gospel. The Father sent forth the Son to save. And it's His intention not only to accomplish the atonement, but that Gospel should be proclaimed to every creature that is under heaven. That is God's work. That is God's Gospel and His purpose. And Jesus says He was sent into the world for this. And then Jesus says to, I think to all of us, just as I was sent into the world, so send I you. As God's co-laborer. Those who serve God must serve the Gospel. That they go together. To serve the Gospel is to serve God. And to serve God is to serve His Gospel. It's to labor with Him. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says this, 22 and 3, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak with the Gospel. I became all things to all people in various circumstances and walks of life and situations. Why? I entered in that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the Gospel. Just think about that for the church. We were having a conversation in staff meeting. I was reading a book. It talks about you know, if we were to have a little conversation and we were to ask ourselves, what is our main thing? You know, what, you know, as a church, what are we about? What are we, you know, or as a staff, as we're talking about that? What is our thing? What is our, what is our main thing? Can we define it? I've been wrestling with that a little bit. And what, what, would it, what is that? And this week I'm thinking, it, well, it ought to be the Gospel. In some ways, that ought to come 
home in everything we do, whether we're the children's minister, the youth minister, the preacher, or the this, the that, and the other thing, what is the main thing that we're about? What's our thing? The Gospel. Are we loving it? Are we preaching it? Are we pointing people to Jesus Christ? I do all things, Paul says. Wouldn't it be amazing to be able to say that in some ways? Now, I know he's an apostle and a preacher in some way, and, and some of us are called and set apart in, in, a, in, a, in a bigger sense, but I do believe that it's a calling that is on all of us, that we are all ambassadors for Christ with this message. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing that we would say, I do all things for the sake of the Gospel? That it is, that it, that it is in some way, the goal of my life, the purpose of my existence, the reason for which we've been called and left here as a church to do all things like Paul for the sake of the Gospel, for its proclamation, to see its power. And you'll see his heart coming through this passion, his desire to see its power manifest in their lives, to see God's people stand firm in it and not be moved from it, to see them established in it, to see them growing in faith and love and wanting to be with them so he can supply what is lacking in it and to continue that ministry. It is, it is that thing which captures Paul's heart and mind. Now when it says that we serve alongside of God as His fellow workers, it does not mean that He needs us. And this is some of the danger that we start thinking in funny ways where God, you know, He needs me to do it or He, you know, in some way, God is not dependent on us in any way. Right? That God invites us. And that God allows us and the utter privilege that He would let the likes of us, sinful, broken, saved people, the likes of us, be yoked with Him in this ministry to share His Gospel with the world. We labor with God, but we know, as Jesus told us so very clearly, that apart from Him we can do nothing. It is only through Him that, that we have advanced. 1 Corinthians 3.7, Paul talks about his ministry again, and he said, neither he who plants, me, Paul, I do a lot of planting, you know, I plant churches by sowing the Gospel broadly, or he who waters, those who labor with me, establishing them in their faith, he who waters, he who plants, we are nothing. Only God can bring growth. Only God can change hearts. Only God can bring it forward in power. You know, and so for all of us, even as I do this, I know we're praying that God would work. Because I know that I'm nothing in the sense of having spiritual power to bring real change in anybody's life. But planting and watering and preaching and proclaiming, sharing the Gospel where we live, work, and play, engaging in ministry, teaching in our children's Sunday school and teaching them Christ and pointing them to Christ. All of this is a sharing in ministry with God Himself. A privilege. But it brings suffering. A glorious privilege that can bring suffering. And that's why He's worried about them. Even as he says, in the midst of our distress, when we got this message in our affliction and in our distress, so both ends of it, it brings affliction. It brings suffering. Even as it is a source, as we see in Paul, as he says here, in the midst of all of it, he, the source of satisfaction and joy of laboring with God and seeing a fruitful ministry. He sent to establish them. Verse 3, sent Timothy to establish them. 
Ground them in their faith that they would not be moved. But then in verse 3, he says the amazing thing. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Isn't that an interesting thing? That you already know that this suffering is what we're destined for as the church. And I have first question, I am, well, how do they know that? Because it was part of Paul's basic training with Christians as they come to Christ and as he ground them in Christ, part of the grounding them in Christ is you know that you are going to follow Jesus. Jesus, the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. And if you're going to follow Jesus, they hated Jesus and they will hate you, so Jesus said. Right? He says, you, you know, as part of his basic training, when he planted the church and he, and he established them, part of his teaching was the world will hate our message. God will gather His elect through this message. It is the power of salvation unto those who believe, but the rest of the world will not be neutral about it. They will hate it. And there will be suffering. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, as he writes to the church, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. As if something strange were happening. It's part of basic training. Part of the basic Christian psyche. We serve the Gospel of God and the world is hostile to God and His Gospel. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. The path to glory then is like Jesus. The way to glory for Jesus was through suffering and rejection and the cross and then glory. Romans 8.17, Paul says this as he writes to the church in Rome, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ as we follow Him. He says, well provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Why must we suffer with Him? Well, because we must follow Him. The only ones who do not experience that kind of resistance are people who aren't really following or their following is if their light is under a bushel. Right under a bushel? No. But if you do, then you won't. But if you let it, your light shine before men. It's right after that that Jesus says, Matthew 5, 11, and 12, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on My account. Rejoice and be glad. Even in the midst, and this is the amazing thing, is he is saying that this gospel ministry and this is so beautiful, it's so powerful, it is so what life is supposed to be, it is so linked with God and laboring with him arm in arm and in planting and watering and sowing and seeing God do this work. It is so real and so powerful, it is so the goal, as we're going to see as you get down to verses eleven and twelve and thirteen, of the goal of all of history for the day that we will stand before him. It is so that even the suffering that comes, he says, it's a glorious thing. When you suffer like that, he says, find joy in it. Rejoice and be glad. You are following Jesus. You are in the way of the cross, in the way of the kingdom. You are on your path to glory and you are doing it right. You're doing it right because when they, that word is spoken, you will experience these things. Even as they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When you speak the name, and you call people to the unique and narrow way of salvation in Christ Jesus, they will revile you. What joy. Rejoice, he says. And that's what we see in Paul as he goes through this. And it's a beautiful and powerful thing as Paul goes through. The joy that he takes 
in this church that he's, that he's planted, so his heart is there, but he hasn't been there in a while. But just how his heart and his emotions and his life is wrapped up, not in, I don't even know if the guy owns property. I don't know if he has a house. If he does, he hasn't been there for a long time. Right? So if he's got a house somewhere, he's not worried about the curtains, he's not delighting in, like his whole life isn't wrapped up in getting to what kind of car he has or the vacations he's able to take. Like None of this stuff do you ever see factor into Paul's as he's writing to them. And make sure you, you delight in these. You know, he's always where Paul, his whole heart is wrapped up in being a co-laborer for God in this world on his way to glory. On his way to that day when he will stand before him and his ministry, his desire, his joy, and his satisfaction is all wrapped up in how God's people are doing. How are you doing? And when you stand, right, isn't that what he says, verse 6 to 8, as he goes on? He says, Right, but Timothy came and he brought us the good news, the gospel. The only place the word gospel is used, other than in relation to the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the good news that God's people. We're standing firm in their faith and in their love in Christ. He brought us the good news of your faith and your love. And He reported that you always remember us. In verse 8, for now we live if we are standing. No, we live if you are standing. Faith and love are marks of genuine conversion. Andrew Young says it this way, faith and love are the essence of the Christian life. It is through faith though itself is a gift from God, it is through faith that we come to know God and that we're brought into the sphere of His empowering grace in Christ. And it is that grace that inevitably expresses itself in a life of God-like love. That you stand firm in that grace, that faith, and that love as genuine believers in Christ, such that, verse 7, in all of our distress and affliction, we are overjoyed. We find for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted through the knowledge of your faith. For now we live. If you are standing firm, can you imagine, what is it you would say, now I really live? What would have to happen when you would step up and be like, now I really live. Now life is really satisfying. Now life is full of meaning and purpose. Now I live. Because this happened. And I'm afraid for what it would be that we would say that thing was. You know, for Paul, as he's writing to the church, his whole life is in turmoil about the state of the church of God's people. And when he hears the good news, he says, now I really live. Now life has in a sense been returned to me. Now joy comes home. We live. His whole life is invested and bound up. Seeing God bringing life and growth in His people where He toiled watering and planting to see it bear fruit in lives of faith and love floats His boat. Right? Does it for Him. Take me home, Jesus. I'm ready. Now I really live. Because I see the power of Your Gospel establishing the work of My hands in a people who know You and love You and are growing in their life with You. He can hardly contain Himself. 2 Timothy 2.10, we can understand where he says, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. 
Right? That's his heart here. I endure everything for the sake of the elect. All that I went through planting that church is all that suffering I'm going through now. All the turmoil of wanting to know how you're doing. I endure all of it. I endure all of it. It's hard. It sucks the life out of me in so many ways. It, I pour my life out in sacrifice and service, but I do it all for God's people, for the elect, for the church. I do it all so that they also may obtain salvation. For me, that is what it is all about. It is an amazing thing the way his heart is captured by this. He can hardly contain himself in verse 9. He's like, what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy. For all the joy that I am experiencing seeing God's work stand in strength, faith, and love. All he wants is to see God's people grounded and growing and thriving. And all he wants is an opportunity to get back and be a part of it, right? And that's where he goes in verses 11 and following. Now may our God and Father... And in Paul's writing in prayer, and you find this in him, they get mixed up. You know, Paul's writing and he starts to pray in his writing and you can't tell. Where did he start praying exactly? When did he stop praying? Sometimes you can't even tell. But, it, but his writing becomes a prayer. May, may God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ, all the powers of the universe, make it possible for me to get back to you. I can't wait to come to you. Why, Paul? Why do you want to get back to Thessalonica? Verse 10. I want to see you face to face to supply what is lacking in your faith. I want to see you grow. I want to be a part of your growth. A part of your maturity. Part of your spiritual life and health. I want to see you. I want to be a part of it. This is the way he ends his letter. It is his great desire for Christian maturity, the gospel fruit. You see, as we've gone through the glory of this gospel and even in the suffering that the gospel brings, the, the joy of it to be a part of what God is doing and ultimately the joy of being a part of that ministry of God's people and His elect. And he still wants nothing more than to get back involved in the life of God's people, to be where they are so that He can supply what is lacking and He can, so He says what? May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. At the heart and soul of the Christian life is this heart of love. God is love. These are the two great commandments that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and that you will love one another. That you will love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says the whole law is summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself too to others. Love, He wants to be there so that He can establish them in the heart of God as a loving people. Love, He says, for each other. And then He says, for all. For the community that we're trying to reach for Christ. And as we move out into a new building, we want to abound in love that we would be a people that are attractive to the world because of the way we love each other. And we know that it is love that covers a multitude of sins. Love that bears with each other. It is love that forgives, love that serves, love that bears one another's burdens. Love fulfills the whole laws. We love one another. We are a witness to the community of the, the truth and the grace and the way the Gospel shapes a people. 
And so he says, I want all of this, verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before him on the day that he comes. All Paul wants to do is to prepare God's people for the day that they will stand in his presence. And isn't that what he said? From the very beginning, as a co laborer with God, Rejoicing even in the suffering that comes because I know that you stand firm. A joy really living, knowing that they are really God's people and He does all things for their sakes. And now all He wants to do is to have a little more time with them and prepare them for the day they will stand before God. You know, for me, my friends, it's it's the question, what are we living for? What is it that really makes you live? What is it that floats your boat? What is it that makes you to rejoice even in in the suffering that we experience even now in this culture that's becoming more and more hostile? Jesus says when that happens, rejoice and be glad. Because you stand as My people in the midst of a world speaking My name and speaking the truth. Oh my friends, do you want to be God's co-worker? you want to link arms with God as His ambassador? Do you do all things for the sake of the elect, for His church? Do you endure all things? I want us to learn to really live when we are faithful in gospel ministry. That what we would love more than we would love and more than any material blessing that the world would have to offer is that we would love God's people We would love to see people come to Christ and get grounded in Christ and grow in Christ and mature in Christ and be prepared for the day they will stand before Him on that day. And that that is the first thing that we are about. That's the first thing that each one of us should capture our hearts as servants of the Gospel. Servants of the God of this glorious Gospel. Father, we thank You for Your Word that is living and true and we Staying amazed at the privilege, the glorious privilege of being co-laborers with You. What an amazing thing. I pray that You would help us to see that. Open our hearts, Father, to see what it is You call us into. That You call us to Yourself. And as Jesus was sent, so You send us into the world. Oh, teach us to be a people of one thing. Of You and Your Gospel that we would love it, that we would live it, we would be saved by it and grounded in it, that we would stand firm in it, that we would grow in it, that we would be matured by it, that we would grow in such a way that we would preach it and speak it and share it and proclaim it to the world. The glory of Your name and the advancing of Your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.